Today's New Testament reading is from Acts. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord, together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. One night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many in this city who are my people. He stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of crime or serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the complaint of you Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I do not wish to be a judge of these matters. And he dismissed them from the tribunal. Then all of them seized Sosthenes, the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of these things. After staying there for a considerable time, Paul said farewell to the believers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencria, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But first he himself went into the synagogue and had a discussion with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. On his arrival, he greatly helped those who through grace had become believers, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from John. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we bless you and we give you thanks for this day and for your presence among us. And we pray now that you would uh, be near to us and that you would awaken us and enliven us by your spirit and that as we sit with your scriptures, that you would use this time to grow us up into the likeness of Jesus. We pray that your uh, transformative activity would be happening in and among us, even right now, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and we come to this episode now in chapter 18, which kind of gets to this turning point. Really, it'll, it'll be next week when we see, um, Cindy will take us into some of the, the ongoings in the city of Ephesus. But really, it's this part in Paul's journeys where he's getting toward the end of his time as a free person. He's gonna be in chains soon, and the drama of the story will follow Paul in chains. But in this episode, he's in Corinth, and then in Ephesus, and these are two of the most important cities in the world at the time of Paul. So as he's coming in this point, you know, as we, if we're tracking with the story, right? So Paul, who has been dramatically changed by Jesus appearing to him on the road, he's been brought into this movement of the spirit where if you remember back at the beginning, Jesus, after he'd been raised from the dead, taught the apostles and the people for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And he said, wait in Jerusalem until I give you what is promised. It was the Holy Spirit. We see that at Pentecost where the risen and ascended Jesus pours out his spirit on the church and he sends them to be his witnesses. And he says, you'll do this in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts really traces the story of the movement of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem out to the ends of the earth. And we're in the ends of the earth territory at this point in the story, as we've made it 18 chapters into a, uh, a 28 chapter book. And so we're well into the drama of the story, and we've been traveling with Paul, who's been going by land and by sea uh, around the world at this point. He's been traveling uh, into Macedonia and down the Aegean Sea. He's made it over to Greece. We saw him in Athens, and now he's in Corinth. And Corinth is a really strategic city. Because at the time, uh, Corinth, it was one of the largest and, and it's kind of an up and coming city. And it was, um, there are a lot of people there. There are a lot of itinerant uh, professionals there. Uh, and they had these games every other year that brought people from all over the world, kind of like the Olympics, that brought people from all over the world every other year to be there in Corinth. And so Corinth was this almost like a like a beating heart, if you want to think about like the way that, you know, your blood moves through your body, right? It like, it always comes back to the heart and then gets pumped back out, right? Corinth becomes this, almost this heartbeat where people come into it and then go out from it. And so it's a, it's a missional strategic center for Paul. And he's there in Corinth and we see him establish a church there. 
And then we're going to see him do this in Ephesus as well. And Ephesus is another strategic city. It's the third largest city in the empire at the time after Rome and Alexandria. It was the hub of culture and commerce in Western Asia. And so it's this strategic place where the land and the sea routes come through Ephesus. And so having a vibrant church there is going to be really important for the spread of the story of Jesus. And so in this, in this episode... In the book of Acts, we have Corinth and Ephesus. We have Paul at work doing his missionary activity in really the two most important cities, if you want to think of, that, think of it that way, strategically, uh, in the whole story. And so we get him here in Corinth, and we see a little bit of what's happening. Um, and... In typical Paul fashion, he goes to the synagogue and he begins there, and he's having some success with some of the people, but then it's also generating some conflict, and, uh, and we see Paul in conflict there in the synagogue, and as we've seen in other episodes of the story, we see the religious establishment turn to the state for help. Um, and we see both the state and the religious establishment resorting to violence as a way to try to maintain order. And we get this contrast that Luke continues to present of a state and a religious establishment that work by way of violence and this movement of the people of Jesus that don't. The nonviolent movement, the love movement, this movement of word and deed bearing witness to Jesus, the crucified Messiah whom God raised from the dead and made king of all things. So Luke is telling the story and we get Paul sharing the gospel in Corinth. Um, and we see Paul in, being brought before the authorities and we see this guy, Gallio, basically cop out. So the Jewish leaders appeal to him to make a ruling and he basically is just like, look, I'm not gonna meddle in your affairs. You guys can settle this on your own. We're not meant to see him as an ally of Paul or of the Jewish people. We're meant to see him as kind of a Roman, uh, a, a Roman governor who's just kind of like not interested and not going to be involved. And so what we get in Corinth is this, the birth of this fledgling church. And when it says Paul's going to be there for 18 months, which is really different, right? Because we've seen Paul hopping around from place to place to place. But when he gets to Corinth, God actually tells him, look, I'm going to keep you safe because why? It's a really powerful statement, right? It says, because there are many in this city who are my people. That's the reason. There are many in this city who are my people. God has people in mind whom he wants, and he's going to enable Paul to serve them, to bear witness to Jesus for the purpose of gathering this people in this place. And he's giving Paul this ability to speak and to work without being arrested, without being beaten, without being killed. Presumably, it's Paul's gratitude for this protection from the Lord, which inspires him to make a vow where he ends up having to cut his hair down the road. We don't really know. Luke doesn't give us the details around that. But it seems that Paul is grateful for the Lord's protection and provision, that he's able to do ministry for 18 months in Corinth, even though People are upset about what he's doing, and he appears to be in danger. But God protects him. But I want us to think about this concept of, I am with you, no one will lay a hand on you or harm you, for there are many in this city who are my people. 
Why does the church exist? Former Archbishop William Temple made the comment of like, the church is the one organization in the world that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. I think it's a really important and insightful way to think about it because if you think about why are we here, who is this for, what we're doing? The mission of the church is for those who are on the outside. We are sent, we are a people on mission, sent with a commission to bless and serve our neighbors, to bear witness to Jesus, to actually be a compelling and beautiful witness that woos the people to God. Because God has many people in this city. When you think about what Philadelphia is, just if we want to fast forward to our own time and place, Philadelphia is an incredibly strategic city, if you want to think about it. We're an education hub. We're a hub for medicine. We're one of the largest cities in the United States, right? We're right here in this, the 95 corridor, sort of nestled between D.C. and New York and living in their shadow in some ways. But Philadelphia is itself a beating heart where people come from all over the world to be trained here to be formed here, to get their, the, the first stages of their career done here. People come from all over the world to this place. They come to Penn, right? Or they'll come to, to Jefferson, or they'll come to, to be um, to Comcast, right? Or whatever. Like they come for these, for these early life formative experiences, whether it's at the university or whether it's in their vocations, to be shaped here and to do life here in a particular season. And, and many will stay, but many will go. And we experience this in the life of our church, right? We'll talk about the nature of our church as this revolving door. Every fall, we have people coming in who are new, and we want to be a welcoming community that embraces newcomers, that helps people connect to the body of Christ while they're here in the city. But then every spring and every summer, we're saying goodbye as people leave the city and move on. People graduate from programs that they're in, or people take jobs in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. And so we'll be saying goodbye as people move out of the city every year. This is our life. And it's hard, right? Because saying goodbye is hard. It's hard to have constant turnover relationally as well. But this is... This is our calling as a community. And those of us who are old timers in the community who've been here for a while, I, uh, this summer will mark 15 years for Bonnie and me for being part of this community. We've said hello and goodbye a lot over those years, right? It's just the way that life here is. And that can be really depleting if we're viewing what we're doing here as for us but it can be profoundly life-giving when you recognize the missional, strategic importance of having a vibrant church in this kind of place where God has many people in this city. And he's planted a church right here so that we can be a people who can embrace newcomers and can graciously say goodbye and send graduates, send our sisters and brothers out into the world as formed disciples who maybe carry with them a piece of us and definitely carry with them a whole lot of Jesus, hopefully, as they've been formed as disciples in our midst. But as we think about why we're here, what are we doing and who is it for? The church exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. 
The church is not designed to be a vendor of religious services, but a many-membered body on mission together in a place. And the place where God has put us is strategic, just as the place where God has put Paul in the story for 18 months is strategic. And what Paul begins to do, I love this, where we see Paul with this willingness to go but ready to stay, right? He's just, he's so open with his life. He's always wanting to go. He's ready to go. He wants to, he wants to spread the word of Jesus as far and wide as he possibly can. But when God says stay, he stays. When God says go, he goes. He's totally open-handed with his life. And here, God says stay. And he makes a way for Paul to stay for 18 months in the city of Corinth, this incredibly important city. And so he works as a tent maker. Now, that's interesting because in, in Jewish life, it's not demeaning to work with your hands, but in Greek life, it is. So in Greek society, it's, it's, it's for the lower classes to do work like this, right? The, the ideal in, in the Greco-Roman social strata is to be like one of those people that can be lazy and lounge around all day, just talking about ideas. That's like what you hope to be, right? That's the good life. In Judaism, there was a much higher view for manual labor, and there was an appreciation for uh, actually doing good work with one's hands, and trade guilds were alive and well at the time that Paul was in Corinth. And so here he is, he's a tent maker or perhaps leather worker, uh, and he is there in Corinth, and he's intentionally embracing a life of manual labor. He's intentionally moving himself down the, uh, the social scale for the sake of the gospel. If you read Paul's letters, you, can, you hear about the way he even talks about his own tent making uh, as a vocation. He, he'll talk about it as being something he does, uh, as a, he, he selects into that, right? He self-selects into that work for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't want to be a burden on people. He doesn't want the witness that he's bearing to Jesus to be compromised by his need for anything from those people. And so he embraces this work with his hands. And as he does it, he meets these other people, Priscilla and Aquila, who are also tent makers. It's like a little networking group that Paul finds himself in, in the uh, tent makers trade guild. And tent makers would have had great work in Corinth because the games come to town every two years and people travel there and they need tents. So there's like, you know, great job security in the tent making world if you're in Corinth. So there Paul is, he's a tent maker and he meets Priscilla and Aquila who've come from Italy and who presumably are already following Jesus before they meet Paul. Because usually Luke tells the story when people convert uh, of what that's like, right? But we don't get that story for them. They meet Paul, you know, around the water cooler at the tent maker office or wherever they are. And they... And they hit it off. And basically what we see is Priscilla and Aquila become some of Paul's most trusted colleagues in gospel ministry. They'll appear multiple times in Paul's letters. And he always uses colleague language, peer language when he talks about them. And so here we've got Priscilla and Aquila. They become Paul's partners in gospel ministry as well as working side by side with him making tents. And they, they end up playing a really important role in the mission of the gospel. And it's interesting here, too, that Luke features them as a couple working together because it seems that Luke is keen to show us the role that women played in the early church and how women really were colleagues to the men 
They weren't less than, but we see women playing really, really prominent roles. We see women as benefactors of the church. We see women as, in this case, teachers in the church. We'll find, you know, we've got people prophesying. As you read through Paul and you read through the stories of Acts, this is a big deal, that what the Spirit is doing in knitting together this new humanity in Christ and putting together this body of Christ Men and women are brought together as equals in this body of Christ, which is very anti-Roman, by the way. It's going to be part of the rub when Paul starts getting into the household codes and things, and he starts to talk about how the Spirit transforms a Roman household. We've done that before. We'll do that again. But for the sake of our time today, just looking at Priscilla and Aquila as this partner couple working together as tent makers, working together as servants in the church, and coming alongside this guy, Apollos, once they get to Ephesus, who's really gifted but needs some help. He needs some coaching. And we see Priscilla and Aquila provide the coaching that he needs to correct his teaching because he only knows about the, gospel, about the baptism of John, and they introduce him to some more accurate teaching around what Jesus is doing these days, right? Around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says that the effect of their ministry on Apollos is that his ministry became more and more powerful. He powerfully was ministering there, showing by the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. So you see in the early church, this body on a mission, this many-membered body on mission who exists not for their own number, but for those who are on the outside, who are sent with this commission to bear witness to Jesus in all of the world and who begin to use their gifts and their resources to actually bless their neighbors, to speak winsomely about Jesus, to bear witness to him who do acts of kindness and mercy that are beautiful and compelling and that actually meet the needs of the poor and of their neighbors. This is what they do. And they begin to do it in these places where there are lots of people, these cities, Corinth and Ephesus. Paul's gonna be in Corinth for 18 months. He's gonna be in Ephesus for like three years. And these are gonna become two of the most important churches in the early generation of the church, right? We'll, we'll see letters to them. Our Bible is filled with Paul's correspondence to these people. We'll see the problems that they have as they try to work out on the ground their own unity, their own Christ-likeness. And they're going to be struggling with all the same kinds of things that we struggle with. Disunity, factions, warring opinions and pet projects and allegiances. They're going to have they're going, to be, they're going to be struggling with their assimilation into the Greco-Roman way, right? We'll see the church in Corinth. Not only are they going to be struggling with division because it's like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm one of these people, I'm one of those people. This, I'm one of this group with this interest, I'm one of that group with this interest. But then we'll start seeing them actually start to look a lot more worldly than Christ-like as they gather together around the Lord's table, not as equals, but according to the class system of Greco-Roman society. And Paul's gonna write into that context. When you gather like that, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. That's a Roman Supper that you're eating. Gather differently. God has made you equals. This is what he's done in Christ. He's made this one new humanity. He's knitted you together. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He will write to the Ephesian church down the road. These churches planted in these strategic places 
are struggling communities, they're vibrant communities, they're important communities. And Paul is keen to write to them and develop them in a way that they can't lose sight of the fact they exist for their non-members. Their calling is to pursue peace. Their calling is to model this unity that God has done in the spirit of bringing together people across division and making them one so that the witness in the world would be beautiful, so that the church can speak peace into a divided world, so that the church can do acts of love to heal a world that is so wounded by human greed and selfishness and violence. The unity of the church serves the mission of the church and it is the picture of God's intention for a flourishing world. This is what Paul is doing as he ministers in Corinth and in Ephesus. He's planting these churches, he's teaching them, he's forming them, he's talking about the way of Jesus and he's building up these communities so that they can be present in these strategic places for the sake of the citizens of those places and for all those who come through, who pass by road or by sea at the crossroads that go through Ephesus or who come for the games in Corinth, those who live there, those who travel through. These are outposts for the mission and Paul is keen to establish communities there that stay true to the calling of Christ. Friends, as we think about our own calling and sort of pull these stories toward our own life together. That's really what I hope for us as a church as we continue to take steps forward into this next season is what are we doing here and who are we doing it for? That we really remember the reason we are a community formed in this place is for the sake of our neighbors. It's for the sake of those who come to this city. It's for the sake of those who live in this place. It's for the sake of our students at Penn and Trexel, right? It's for the sake of those who are moving to this place to do the early stages of their career. It's for the sake of those who are on our streets, who are struggling with food insecurity and homelessness. It's for the sake of the school kids in Philadelphia who get kicked out of their school building when it's 95 degrees outside because the schools aren't even air conditioned. It's for the sake of our neighbors. That's why we're here. And the invitation of Jesus, the summons of our king, who's, who is the head of this body, is that we would get on board with what God is doing in this place and open our hearts that we would love what he loves, to open our eyes that we would see our neighbors whom he's given us to love, that we would open up our wallets and support the work so that we would be generous with our resources to actually meet the needs of our neighbors. Why? Because there are many in this city whom God loves and is calling us to love in his name. That's our calling. That's our privilege as the body of Christ in this place. May God give us grace to live into that calling and to see with eyes of faith the city and our neighbors whom he's given us to love. Would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for your love toward us in Christ. We thank you for your generosity in moving toward us in love and embracing us. We thank you for your spirit who makes us alive, who heals us, who unites us. And we confess that we opt out of your great mission all the time because we prefer our own comfort to the beauty to which you call us to pursue. But we pray that you would move, move among us and do a great work in us, that you would be making us more like Jesus. We pray that you would root out every division among us 
Uh, we pray that you would root out of our hearts any bitterness that lingers, that keeps us from being involved with you and what you're doing in the world. And we pray that you would warm us by your love to love one another as you have loved us in Christ and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you that you give us every grace and every gift needed to join you in your great work of making all things new. Help us, we pray, to step more and more into that today through Christ our Lord. Amen.